Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. All right, good morning, Crossroads. Welcome to our Sunday morning worship celebration uh, where we love celebrating Jesus despite all the crazy things that may be going on in the world right now. And uh, let me ask this question. Feel free to raise your hand. How many people um, just have concerns about stuff going on in the world right now? Yeah, we, 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 we probably all do. Um, is a European war going on? That's, that's concerning. Uh, inflation out of control, cost of things going up, that's concerning. Um, fourth or fifth, I forget which version of the virus coming out, that's obviously concerning. Uh, Christy was telling me that she's seeing more patients in the hospital now with uh, the COVID virus again. Oh, and before I forget, can we pray for Larry and Sharon, because they're traveling this morning. <laughs> I was going to say this, because uh, they're not here, so let's talk about them. Okay, so uh, pray for them. They're traveling, but they spent the first two months of this year in North Carolina, so they miss all that winter weather that we had. They came back for a week, it snowed, and then they were back to North Carolina again. So uh, actually, they're, they're a visiting family, but... Uh, pray for them. They're driving today, so they probably won't see this, but um, pray for them. But there's a lot of just crazy stuff going on in the world right now that gives people cause for concern. Uh, so I wanted to share this particular passage of scripture, uh, and this is what Jesus shared with his disciples. And he said, I have told you these things, and that these things that he's talking about are about his death and his burial and his resurrection, and that eventually we will all spend eternity with him. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. But he says, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trials. You're going to have pandemics. You're going to have wars. You're going to have, you know, government corruption, corporate corruption. You're going to have distress. You're going to have frustration. And I put it in the amplified version because it kind of spells out. In most versions, it says, be of good cheer. But that word cheer literally means to have courage or to be courageous. So he says, be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of the power to harm you and have conquered it for you. Now, this doesn't mean he's deprived it of the power like that doesn't mean like we're bulletproof because we're Christians. It doesn't mean we can't get sick. Like I could literally walk out and get hit by a bus, slow moving because all the potholes, but still hit by a bus. But the idea is that the, the tribulations of the world, the trials of the world, the frustrations and all of that craziness, that can't harm us. Can we get sick? Yes. But do we have to give in to the trials and the struggles and the frustration? No, because in Christ, we can have perfect peace. So I'm going to ask everyone to stand as the band comes up. Uh, and before we sing this song, I want to pray for us. God, we just give you all praise and glory and honor. 
because we are in a time right now where it seems like every aspect of the world is like out of control, where there is chaos, there is frustration, there is tribulation, there is trial, there is distress. But we are grateful that we can be encouraged and have courage and walk in your perfect peace despite the chaos. And that's what we're praying for this morning, that some of that peace would settle on us despite the war going on, despite the next phase of the virus, despite the economic chaos, that we would just experience your love, your joy, and your peace this morning. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing to walk through uh, one of the Old Testament books of the Bible, uh, the book of Zechariah. And um, I have to be totally 100% honest with you, uh, some of the verses that we're about to read may not make a lot of sense to a lot of people. They may be kind of flowery and, and that kind of thing. And let me ask this question, uh, how many people have ever had this happen to you and uh, if you're watching via the live stream, you can just type yes or no in the comments. And Glenn, Glenn said, hi, Rita. <laughs> uh, but how many people have ever had this happen to you? You're reading through a passage of scripture, right? Especially an Old Testament passage of scripture. Uh, maybe it's just a passage, a paragraph, or a chapter. And then you close the Bible, you put the book down, and then you think, what in the ham sandwich did I just read? Like, that made no sense. So here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to ask everyone to bow their head for a moment because I want to pray for what we're about to read. God, uh, we just lift up everything that we're about to read. Uh, pray that as we dig into your word that you would give us clarification, understanding, um, bring your wisdom into this space and allow us to see your word the way you intended, not the way I intended, not the way that, you know, the culture intends. Just reveal to us what you have for us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. Um, and I don't want anyone to think I'm, I'm being negative about scripture, but there's a lot of things in the Bible that can be a little bit confusing with People agree with that? Is that a fair statement? Yeah, a lot of stuff. Uh, I actually had a conversation with someone earlier this week, and a guy who was like, I just don't get it. He's like, I don't understand how Jesus could be a fisher of men. He's like, I've been a fisherman my whole life, never threw a hook at another guy. It wasn't clicking with him. Things like that are kind of hard to understand. So uh, here's the thing. There are a couple of things that make sometimes understanding Scripture a little bit difficult. So for one... Names and places, right? A lot of the names in the Bible, uh, there's actually a thing amongst pastors where like if we can get through a sermon and pronounce all the names and places correct, like we should get like a bonus because some of those names and places, they're hard to pronounce. And then when you're talking about them, like a few weeks ago when we were going through all these names, Lebanon, Tyre, blah, 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 all these places meant absolutely nothing to us. So we're trying to find out how that like relates and it can make it confusing, but also the poetic language of the Bible, especially when you're going through the Psalms and there's a lot of poetry, that can be confusing. For the artistic mind, maybe they flow and follow right along, 
Uh, but if you're like me and you're not that artistic, you're like, I don't get it. It's kind of hard. And then uh, some of the things, the unrelatable imagery makes it really difficult to, 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 to like stay on target, right? Uh, some of the imagery that the Bible uses has absolutely nothing to do with anything we understand. Uh, side note, how many people have read Song of Solomon? Okay, there's places in there that make, it's about Solomon expressing his love and attraction for a woman, and I'm gonna keep it clean for the children in the room. But one of the things, some of the things, one of the things he says is that like, this woman's throat is what makes him attracted to her. Yeah, all the eyes just went, wait, what? Because that makes no sense to us. That imagery, like, I have never been on a dating app in my life, but I'm sure, like, your throat is sexy is not trending on any dating app, right? None of us are like, hey, that girl looks good. I don't know, I gotta wait till she takes off her scarf, see what her neck looks like. It, it doesn't relate to us. So, it, and if you are, that, you know, whatever works for you, that's great. But a lot of this stuff makes it hard to understand the Bible, right? Makes it hard to, to like, how do I relate that kind of thing to my life? But this is where, this is where the, the benefit of like Bible studies, and I know they're hard, and like Sunday celebrations where uh, we walk through and teach you the Bible, this is where those things kind of like work out for our benefit. Because we're all supposed to be able, not necessarily to like explain the entirety of scripture, but the, what we read, be able to share and talk about that with other people, right? Because this is what the Apostle Paul, and we're going to jump into Zechariah in a minute. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. And this is the message version, which is just plain old English. It says, God's servant must not be argumentative, but a gentle listener and a teacher who keeps us cool. Right now, he's referring to the fact that, hey, you should be able to, and he's not talking about you have to be a deacon or a ministry leader or a pastor. He's just saying anyone who wants to be a servant of God should be able to explain the word of God without getting into arguments about the word of God. You should be able to, hey, yeah, explain what, what, what the word of God means and how it's relevant to your life and, and, and how it's transformed your life. And we should all be able to do that. That doesn't mean we have to have the Bible memorized, but we should have a good understanding of the parts that we read, the parts that have transformed our lives. And even Peter says we should be able to talk to other people about why we believe what we believe, but also do so respectfully. We're supposed to be able to explain and talk about the Bible to people, right? And like we said last week, uh, the things that make people mad, religion and politics when you talk about them, Two most important things in our lives. Religion, you know, God's love for us, the fact that he died for us, and politics, the way that we're being governed in this world. Most important things we should be able to talk about, right? But a lot of people don't. So my hope is as we read these next couple of verses, right, there's going to be some confusion. There's going to be some whatever, but hopefully we'll explain it and we'll all walk away with a better understanding of what it's talking about. Now, I'm going to put the first three verses up on the screen, but if you have a Bible, turn to Zechariah chapter 11. If you don't, there's one on the table or on the chairs under you or somewhere like that. But I'm going to put the first couple of verses up on the screen, uh, and then we'll, we'll walk through the rest together. Uh, so in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 1 through 3, here's what it says. And this is what I mean about the language and the poetry and all that stuff. Open your doors, Lebanon, 
so that fire may devour your cedars. Wail, you juniper, for the cedar has fallen. The stately trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, the dense forest has been cut down. Listen to the wail of the shepherds. Their rich pastures are destroyed. Listen to the roar of the lions. The lush thicket of the Jordan is ruined. And I would read that again, but no, we all understand exactly what he's talking about, right? Obviously not, because he's, he's, he's mentioning a lot of stuff that doesn't seem to flow and make sense, but we'll, we'll, we're going to walk through it quickly. So when he says, open your doors of Lebanon so that the fire may devour your cedars, again, this is all prophetic stuff. So in his time, he's talking about something that's going to happen hundreds of years later. And he says, wail, you juniper, for the cedar has fallen. The stately trees are ruined. Now, there were a lot of cedar trees in Jerusalem. But when the Roman government came in and they, like, destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, remember, this is like 5-something BC where he's, he's proclaiming this. When they came in, uh, the Romans came in and they literally destroyed the city of Jerusalem. The temple was this ornate building uh, that was built with huge white stones. But in between the stones, there was gold. Kind of like how, you know, you use mud and you put bricks or whatever it's called, you put bricks on. They did that, but then they also included gold to make it look nice because the one that Solomon built was like literally with, lined with golds all over the walls. So they put gold in between the stones. When the Roman soldiers came in, they cut down cedar trees because they saw the gold that was lining the stones of the temple. They cut down cedar trees and burned the temple. Now, it didn't burn the stones, but it caused the gold to melt. And uh, I forget the name of the historian. I just drew a blank. But one of the historians said that the Roman soldiers, once it melted, took like picks and shovels and axes and pulled out all of these pieces of gold to kind of pillage the temple. So this is a, a prophecy about the temple being destroyed. Now talk about the rich pastures being destroyed in a minute. But this is one of the things that makes understanding the scriptures a little bit difficult, right? So he says, whale oaks of Bashan. Now, Bashan, uh, there was an area uh, in the nation of Israel called Bashan, and it was like their rich pasture land. It's where they grew wheat, and they grew all this stuff. It was the, like, like our, what do they call it, Americans, heartland, where we grow all kind of stuff. Uh, that was their area. And since it was so rich and it provided food for the rest of the nation, the people there got wealthy. So when he says whale oaks of Bashan, it's kind of like a bash because the oaks of Bashan were kind of like the rich people who were now all their money was going to be useless. Now, previously in the book of Amos, Amos talked about the same thing, but he uses the phrase, you cows of Bashan. He says, hear this word, cows of Bashan, on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness this time, or the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. This was him, uh, and you know, no one get mad at me, I didn't write this. This was him telling the woman, hey, that you're the cows of Bashan because they got wealthy and they did absolutely nothing to help the poor 
And so what Amos told him was, hey, because of your ability to just sit back and just feed on your wealth and not help anyone else, God's going to come in and destroy the nation. And he literally says that you're going to be taken away with hooks. And when the uh, Assyrian nation came in in 722 BC and they destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel, some of the people had hooks put into their mouths and other parts of their body, and they were dragged away fulfilling this scripture. So uh, this thing that Zechariah does is a similar thing. He's telling the prophecy about when the uh, Romans will come in, they're going to destroy the city of Jerusalem, they're going to burn the temple to the ground, and it's going to be felt by all the wealthy people. And that actually gets worse. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Zechariah chapter 11. Because what we're going to read about is first, again, a little bit more about the destruction of Jerusalem. Then we're going to read about the betrayal of the Messiah. And then we're going to read about the Antichrist again. Because throughout this, again, this is, this is Zechariah talking about all these things that are going to come, right? And, and we'll talk about why this is important to us in a minute. So if you have a Bible, turn to Zechariah chapter 11. Uh, and we're going to start in verse 4 because we already kind of went through 1 through 3. Verse 4 says this. This is what the Lord, my God, says. Pasture the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. For I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will hand everyone over to his neighbor and his king. They will oppress the land, and I will not rescue them from their hands. This is more, again, talking about when the Romans come in and they destroy Jerusalem, and they kind of like decimate the nation. And this is God saying, I'm going to hand them over to, and I don't remember the king. There was a Caesar. I think it was Tiberius, but I'm not sure who was in charge, that God handed them over to. Now, he also says, and this is important, their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord, I'm rich. Their own shepherds don't spare them. Because uh, what uh, one of the historians says happened is that the priests and the Pharisees who knew this was going to happen, started selling off pieces of the land so they could fund their escape. And so they would have money once the nation ended. Now, you guys remember um, months ago when everyone was talking about, hey, Russia is amassing you know, armies over here against the Ukraine like they're going to invade. And Putin's like, we're not going to invade. We're just doing exercises. And everyone's like, they're going to invade. And then eventually they invaded, right? So this is a similar thing that happened. The Jewish leaders, the shepherds of the people, saw that the Romans were amassing forces and got word that the Romans were going to come and destroy Jerusalem. So what they said was, hey, let's start selling off pieces of Jerusalem to Roman officials so that we can fund our escape. And this is what Zechariah is talking about, how the shepherds of the people got rich off of the people and didn't spare the people. All right? So drop down to verse 10. Then it says, Then I took my staff called favor and broke it, revoking the covenant I made with all the nations. It was revoked on that day. And so the afflicted of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. And he's talking about and referring to that day, the death of Jesus. And here's why. Here's what happened. Verse 12, I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me 
30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. This is the prophecy about the betrayal of the Messiah who, because we said on this side of history, we know it's talking about Jesus. Uh, because in Matthew, this is what Matthew says, chapter 26, one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him, meaning Jesus, over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. This is some 550, 60 years later. 30 pieces of silver. But then in Matthew 27, it says this, early in the morning, all the chief priests and elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Now, it's important to note he was received with remorse like he felt guilty. But when you read in Zechariah, it doesn't say it was remorse. It says, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. And what many theologians believe is that even though he betrayed Jesus, that the Holy Spirit convicted Judas because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us of sin. He lets us know, hey, if I go out and I start talking bad about Gary or, 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 or talking bad about anyone, not even going to like betray people, but just talking bad about them, then the Holy Spirit convicts us and says, hey, that's your brother or sister in Christ. Maybe instead of talking bad about them, you can have a conversation with them about what's bothering you. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does, right? It, to, when we start to move towards that area of sin, it, what we call remorse is conviction. And this is what he says. He says, I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. But the chief priest picked up the coins and said it's against the law to put it into the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That's why it's been called the field of blood to this day. So this is Zechariah again prophesying about what's going to happen to the Messiah. Now, drop down to verse 14. Then I broke my second staff called Union, breaking the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And then the Lord said to me, take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd, for I'm going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost or seek the young or heal the injured or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off all their hoofs. Now, many people believe he's talking about the Antichrist. I'm going to summarize all this in a minute. Verse 17 says, Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm, his right eye. May his arm be completely withered, his right eye blinded. And when you look in the book of Revelations, many people look at that verse and they say, hey, this applies to what happens to the Antichrist. When you look in Revelations, uh, let me jump through real quick. It says, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had 10 horns, seven heads, 10 crowns on its horns, and each had a blasphemous name. Now, this is, a, again, that imagery that's hard to follow. Uh, but if you, if you look through how those words are used in Scripture, there's a thing called expositional consistency. So 
when I first read this, I was like, this is better than the movies. There's like this big creature with 10 horns coming up, and it's going to like, you know, Godzilla over the town and all that stuff, but that's not what that means. It would be really cool, but that's not what that means. Right? When you look through Scripture, uh, the way it refers to the 10 horns are like 10 nations or 10 uh, governmental uh, strongholds. Right? So there's this, what many people believe, 10-nation confederacy, and then out of that 10 nations, there are seven that rise, but then there's one that comes up more than the others. And that one individual who comes up out of them is called the beast, and he says, the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. And again, in my head, I was like, this is really cool, but this is just referring to the nations to which it's tied to. And it said, the dragon gave the beast his power, his throne, and his great authority. And then one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound. But the fatal wound had been healed, and the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. And what a lot of people do is they look at this verse that we just read about this, this fatal wound, about a shepherd that God raises up and allows to take control of the nation, and then how it's healed after it gets this wound. I wish I had more time to go into that, but I don't want to talk about revelations today. I just want to talk about the importance of Scripture and understanding uh, what Scripture is all about. Because the end times, whenever you talk about end time stuff, it can be very confusing, right? There's pictures and there's imagery and there's whatever. That's why, no, uh, well, I shouldn't say no matter who you talk to, but that's why there's so many people today that look at it and like, we're in the end times and, and you know, Fauci is the Antichrist and blah, 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 and all this stuff, right? Which none of that is true, okay? And here's what happens. Because in the body of Christ, the church, a lot of people don't spend a lot of time talking about this stuff because it's weird and it's scary. Then people just draw their own conclusions. And then every time something happens, people say, we're in the end times. This is it. This is the end. Now here, how many people remember... Um, Y2K, 1999, some of you are too young, you don't know, <laughs> but Y2K from 1999 to 2000, when like all the computers were rolling over, but because they were 8-bit and they didn't have enough code, they were like, it's going it's gonna, to like crash the entire world. And everyone was like, we're in the end times. We're, gonna, we're in the end times. Jesus is coming tomorrow. Like in 2000, Jesus will come because the world will end. That's what everyone thought. Here we are, 22 years later, and actually... Not a single thing happened. I mean, people spent a lot of money to update their computer systems, and then the world moved on. But then how many people remember this? Uh, 2012, the Mayan calendar thing. There was this Mayan calendar that didn't go past 2012. And so people thought, oh, we're in the end times. When we hit 2013, there's nothing else. That's it. Jesus is coming soon. And here we are. We're still here, way past 2012. Jesus hasn't come back yet, Right? But everyone thought, this is it. That's the end time. And they tied it to some biblical thing and said, look, it's in the Bible. We're in the end times. But it wasn't. And the reason they didn't know it wasn't is because a lot of people didn't teach or talk about end time stuff until that happened. And then they reacted to it. Right? And then, of course, um, jump into where we are today, the Ukrainian war. And everybody, all these Christians are like, we're in the end times. This is the war that's talked about, which we'll actually talk about next week. That's the prophesied, the war to end all wars and, and all, you know, we're in the end times. Jesus is coming soon. You better get ready. You better get ready. 
But there's so much that has to happen before we get to that point. And the problem is that people don't know because in the church we don't talk about it. And so people just draw their own conclusions and come to their own conclusions. And as we see, they've been wrong. But then they cause that fear and that panic and people start, I think it's the Mayan calendar one, people like cashed in their 401ks and like, okay, well, the world's coming to an end. I'm going to go live off and spend all, and people spent like tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars living their best life. And then 2013 came and it was like, hey, McDonald's, are you hiring? Because I need a job, Right? This is why it's so important, though, that we talk about the truth, right? And we, and we understand this stuff. So here, I want to show you with this. I'm going to close with this really quick. The Apostle Paul, uh, this is what he says. And this is, this is how this relates to us. Because uh, in the church in Thessalonica, they reached out to him and said, Hey, look, I know you told us about all this end time stuff, but we must have missed it. Because somebody told us the end is already come and Jesus has already returned and we missed the tribulation and all this stuff happened. So he writes to them and he says, hey, relative, and I put it in the Amplified Version, he says, but relative to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and our gathering together to meet him, we beg you. So he makes it clear. I'm talking to you about when Jesus returns and when we're going to be with him forever. He says, I beg you. This is how important this is. I beg you, brethren not to allow your minds to be quickly unsettled or disturbed or kept excited or alarmed, whether it be by some pretended revelation of the Spirit, because there were people walking around saying, they were telling them, hey, the Holy Spirit revealed to me that we missed it. But that, that can't be true because later Paul tells them that the Holy Spirit won't be here. So if you missed it, it's not the Holy Spirit telling you. And I've had people tell me, the Holy Spirit told me that Fauci is the Antichrist. I'm like, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. It may have been Fox or CNN, but it wasn't the Holy Spirit that told you that. Right? I've had people tell me, the Holy Spirit told me that we are in the tribulation. I'm like, that wasn't the Holy Spirit, because we're not. Right? So he says, hey, uh, don't get excited or alarmed by some pretended revelation of the Spirit, or by word or by letter alleged from us. Because some people were saying, hey, uh, even though they didn't have a complete Bible, uh, the, the writings of the apostles were considered scripture, and they were saying, hey, his writing says this, just like people say today, hey, the Bible says we're in the tribulation. It doesn't. We're not there yet. We're headed there, but we're not there yet. He says, so don't be confused or, or all that to the effect that the day of the Lord has already arrived and is here. And he says, let no one deceive you or beguile you in any way, for that day will not come except, and I have to be crystal clear, he, says, he said, we're talking about when we're gathered to meet the Lord. He says, that day is not going to happen except, and he lays out the things that must come first. The apostasy comes first. This, this great falling away. Uh, Peter talked about it. Paul talked about it. Jesus talked about it. And we can look and say, yeah, churches and droves are going less people, but that's not the great falling away. It's heading towards it, but this great falling away where all who have pressed to be Christians, they kind of like, I'm done, and they leave the church, right? He says that must come first, has come, and the second thing has to come. The man of lawlessness, sin, is revealed 
who is the son of doom or perdition, who opposes and exalts himself so proudly and instantly against and over all that is called God or that is worshipped. Now, what he's talking about is this man of lawlessness, the man of perdition, the man of doom, is the same phrase I've been using for the Antichrist. He says, before this great gathering has to occur, we will know who the Antichrist is. He's not going to raise his hand and say, I'm the Antichrist, but he's going to fulfill certain criteria that are laid out in the scripture, uh, which Daniel talks about, which Zechariah talks about, which the Bible talks about. Kind of makes himself known. And I've had, again, people tell me, God told me that Trump is the Antichrist. And they don't seem to understand that even though the Antichrist is going to do all these things that he says, the reason he's going to be so popular is because he's going to bring peace. Everyone is going to love him. Whether you like him or love him, not everyone loves Trump. Whether you like him or love him, not everyone loves Fauci. Neither one of those people fit the model or role to be the Antichrist. And here's the most important thing. He says this, do you not, last sentence, do you not recollect that when I was still with you, I told you these things? He's writing to the church in Thessalonica. According to the book of Acts, he spent three weeks there. Paul would go from, from city to city sharing the gospel. He would rent a building. And I know everyone said the church only met in houses. That's not true. Paul would rent a building. People would come in and then he would share the gospel with them. Do the same thing we're doing now. And in the three weeks he was in Thessalonica, some places he stayed six months, some places he stayed for a year. In the three weeks he was in Thessalonica, he explained to them who Jesus was. He explained to them that he loved us enough to die for our sins. He explained to him about the death, burial, and resurrection, and then how when they stepped across the line of faith, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But he also explained to them that Jesus is going to return, and here's what needs to take place before that can happen because it was something that was regularly and commonly talked about. It wasn't like in his second year there or his third year, over his three weeks time spending with them, part of the normal conversation was about the return of Jesus Christ. And it's something that the church needs to talk more about today. Now, I know we've run a little long, so uh, I'm just going to ask you guys to stand for a minute, and I'm going to close with this uh, scripture that we kind of started with. Because Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, said, I'm going to tell you about my death, my burial, my resurrection, and I'm telling you these things so that when it happens, you don't have fear, you don't have like craziness, you don't have chaos, you have perfect peace because you know what's coming. And that's the reason why we talk about these end time events. So not that there's chaos, so people aren't selling off their 401ks and cashing in all their stocks, thinking that the world is going to end tomorrow, but so that despite the craziness and the chaos and the tribulation and the trials and the distress and the frustration, that we can be encouraged and have the peace of Christ. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we know that the world is in turmoil right now. But we pray that we, the body of Christ, would share your word. Not even talking about outside with others, but in the confines of our Sunday celebrations and our Bible schools and our small groups and our Sunday schools or wherever we gather, that part of the conversation would be the importance of understanding that you, one, will return for us and two, what has to happen before that occurs. 
And most important, that none of us, absolutely no one on the planet, knows when that will occur. Which is why it's so important that we commit our lives to you now. God, we pray for all the pastors, all the small group leaders, all the ministry leaders that are teaching their people. That just like Paul, this would be a part of the conversation, understanding the importance of the return of Christ so that we might experience that peace that comes from you amidst all the crazy and the chaos in the world. And I pray right now for any of us that are experiencing hesitation or frustration or just uh, because of all the chaos, the economic chaos, the financial distress, uh, the war going on, uh, the pandemic, we pray that we might experience your peace, the peace that transcends all understanding. We pray that we experience that right now. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen.